Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, uh, it's good to be with you today. Uh, We are in the second week of a series uh, called God's Vision for His Church. We started this series by looking at the church through a particular lens, which has been used way back since uh, the early church fathers. And that's seen as the church is representing uh, the nature of God, the Trinity. We looked last week at how the church reflects God's nature, and particularly that we as a people, as the church, are called to be the people of God. And what I want to talk about today is how we reflect Jesus's nature, how the church is called to be the body of Jesus in the world. Now, the church is something which uh, at many times, uh, when you look at how the church is perceived in the popular culture, uh, is seen through sometimes a negative light. Now, sometimes that's unfair. And Jesus said that we will have opposition, uh, that there will be a sense where the forces of the world will oppose the church. That's part of the spiritual dynamics of what is to be the people of God in the world. But then there are other times when really the church is kicking own goals, where you look at something that happens in the church, where church gets fused with politics, where church gets fused with paranoia, where the church gets fused with other beliefs, And the witness of the church is harmed. And in many ways, also what harms the church is when there is a gap between what the church preaches, the message of Jesus and what the church lives out. So I just want to set that out straight. One of the great problems we have with the church is less about the church, but more when there is a gap between faith, what we we say we affirm to, the beliefs that we hold, our theology, but then our discipleship are walking out of those beliefs. Now, all of us have a gap between those two things, but when we get into trouble is when that gap becomes wider. That can happen to an individual believer, that can happen to the church. And this is why it's really important to understand the church as Jesus's body in the world. Now, we're heading into a season where one of the dynamic changes in the world is that technology means that we can connect and communicate with people across the world. But also what it means is it shows up injustices and it shows up shortcomings. And there's really positive stuff to that. But it means that any dirty laundry often will get shared in the world. And we live in a time where increasingly there are leaders that people have looked to who've been shown up as having that gap between belief and discipleship. And there's only more of that to come in the days to come. So I think this is really important for us to visit this idea of the church as Jesus's body in the world. Now, that may be a term that you've heard before. If you've been in church for a little while, if you've grown up in the church, you've often had that term. But I really want to examine it. And you must have have a mental picture in your head of Jesus's body and the church being Jesus's body. That sounds a bit weird at this moment. We'll get more normal as we go on. Uh, But what I wanted to dig into is understanding This idea of a body when something is enfleshed and to use this biblical language when Jesus was incarnated into the world. Understanding that helps us then understand what it is to be the body of Christ in the world. In the book of Exodus, we find the people of God 
They have been called out. We saw that last week with Abraham. The people of God in the world have been given an identity. They have a covenant with God. But they've been called out of slavery and they're wandering through the wilderness. They're, in a sense, in a darkness. They are called to be people of God. But how do they be the people of God? How do they reflect God's nature in the world? In Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, it says this. Now, if you obey me fully, this is God speaking, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom. Now, remember that word, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God has called out a people, but he has a very different way, a vision of how they are to live in the world. It's not just about a calling. It's not just about holding onto a belief that they are God's special treasured possession. They must also act in this way. And so what we see in the book of Exodus is that God gives his word, his Torah, his instructions. Moses is given this way that the people are to live in the world. Now, as we learned last week, we fall short of this. Human sins mean that we cannot live up to this standard in our own strength. This is why God sends into the world Jesus to be his word in the world. Moses receives the Torah, the instructions, brings it down to people from the high place at the top of the Mount, Mount Sinai. And then what we see in the New Testament is Jesus coming from the high place, heaven, down to earth. And he doesn't bring a book. He brings himself, God in human form. The word then comes into the world. The Gospel of John in chapter 1 verse 14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. This is a really deep, short sentence, but filled with theological meaning. Jesus is the word. The word creates. The word when spoken by God, created the world, brings new possibilities, does new things. And this word then is brought into flesh. And we see this distance between what we say and how that is lived out in this moment is brought together. That God does not just say that he loves Israel, he loves the world. He actually comes into the world to show what that looks like with flesh on it. And he lives amongst us. I'm going to read on. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Last week, we spoke about the fact that we can't live up to the standards in our own strength of what God calls the church to be. We spoke of the grace that we live under. Jesus comes into the world and he doesn't just talk about grace. He shows us grace. He doesn't just give us the truth. He lives the truth. This is really, really key. And so Jesus in his ministry, as he is baptized, enters his public ministry, that ministry is central to him walking as the word in the world. Have you noticed he doesn't just release a book? Jesus didn't just emerge from his hometown, turn up in Jerusalem, have a book launch party, a social media campaign, release his book into the world and hope it gets to the top of the Jerusalem bestseller list. Jesus doesn't set up a philosophical school. Jesus doesn't write a textbook or set up a university course where people can debate his ideas the way that they debate ideas like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. 
Jesus lives a ministry. He's incarnating God's way in the world. To incarnate something, the origins of that word come from flesh, to put flesh on bone, to put flesh onto an idea. Now, this is really key because as we started, the church gets into problems. Individual believers get into problems when there's a gap between our ideology and our obedience. Christian belief without obedience is simply cultural Christianity. It's a marker. It's a truth that you may affirm. But when that is not walked out, it's only half the picture. And so this is why understanding Jesus' incarnation is essential. And this is really essential for the moment that we live in. One of the great trends of our thinking in the Western world that has really taken hold in the last few decades has been this separation between our values and our truths and actual facts. When I first started in ministry, I was a youth intern in a youth ministry. I remember going to a conference and I went to the stream which looked at university ministry. And the university workers who were sharing the gospel and living Christian community on campus were sharing how there was this new kind of difficulty. Back decades before, say in the 1960s, 1950s, when people explained gospel truths, people took that and they realized that if they were going to accept that truth, that would have to translate in actually how they walked that out. But what people were encountering was this new dynamic where people separated values from facts. When someone would share the gospel with someone on a a university campus, instead of wrestling with that, what that meant, even sometimes people wrestle with it, couldn't live up to it, but there's an understanding that that would have to translate into genuine life change and genuine life action. That you would have to practice what you preach if you would accept a, a truth. But what people were encountering was this new dynamic where the response often from people when they heard the gospel was like, oh, that's oh, good. That, that's your thing. I got my thing. You do you, as the statement goes. And this is kind of this place where it's really hard then to share the gospel because fact is separated from value. Now, this has become a problem, not just for people sharing the gospel. That trend we have now seen go out into the world, spread particularly by the internet, where so many of our cultural battles at the moment are actually about the separation of values versus facts. Now, we've been sort of able to live like that and get away with that a little bit over the last sort of 30 years because we've lived in this time of a lot of peace and prosperity where we've almost been in the Seinfeld moment where politics and big ideas don't really matter and you just talk about nothing. But the world in which we're entering with the realities of things like the environment of geopolitical, political shifts happening in the world, things like the pandemic, it's really hard to just say, well, we're just going to agree to disagree because when actually values and fact come back together and genuine action has to be made in the world, we're seeing the fallacy of the belief in the West that we can just have this relativist idea of truth because we're seeing the fruit of a world where we can't agree on truth anymore. And this has also affected the church where it's not just the church which has had this gap between our ideas that we believe, the things that we affirm and our walking that out. That's been true of individual believers. Increasingly the gap 
between what many professed Christians say they believe and what they're living out has grown. And this reflects this concept of luxury beliefs that some people have used where in privileged Western societies, you can hold on to kinds of opinions because it doesn't really matter. It's really easy to think what the football coach should have done on Saturday when you're sitting in your armchair on Monday. It's really easy to speculate on what politicians should do when you have no idea of the complexity. It's really easy to look at what others should be doing in situations in the world when you don't actually have all the facts on the table and the responsibility. That's a luxury belief, where you can believe something without ever actually having to see the consequences of that belief enacted in the world. But friends, that time is passing. We're entering into a new kind of world. And so the church, therefore, at this moment, is entering again back into when facts and values are brought together. So when Jesus comes into the world, he's showing us that there should be no gap between what we believe and what we walk out. When Jesus comes into the world, he announces a new order in the world. In Matthew 4, verse 17, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this is really key. Jesus comes down from heaven, just as Moses came down from uh, Sinai. Remember, we've learned in this, as we've been working through different series lately at this church, that heaven is God's ideal of what the world should be. It's his way, his plan, his blueprint for the world. Jesus is coming and saying, okay, the time has changed now. Where we are in God's salvation history is we're now enacting this blueprint in the world, and I'm going to walk that out, and I'm going to show you what justice, love, holiness, and righteousness looks like in the real world, in real moments. When a woman is brought by the Pharisees before Jesus, accused of adultery, thrown on the ground, the Pharisees demand that she be stoned and killed. And Jesus in that moment gets down, squats, draws in the sand, and says, yeah, you need to fulfill the law. So whoever has not sinned, you can throw the first stone. And that moment where there's silence as the realization begins to cognate, cognate, is that a word? Move in their minds of what Jesus is saying. And all you can hear is the thud of stones hitting the ground. That's not just some idea. That's love and justice in a moment enacted out by the Messiah. That's just not a theory. That's the word walking in the word. That's the word walking in the world. That's God showing us his love on earth and how that works. The woman who touches Jesus' coat, who is unclean because she's been menstruating for years and can never come into that holy moment. And Jesus recognizes that power has gone out from him and heals her. That's just not an ideology. That's just not a theory. That's not just someone's values. That's not just some mission statement on some business's wall of what they would aspire to have. That's love and truth and grace lived in the real world. Jesus is the walking kingdom. As the disciples see this, this is what draws people to Jesus. They see this in this ways at times which they can't understand when they see him go to the cross and die for humanity's sins. The joy that they then see Jesus defeating death, defeating sin, rising from the grave on the third day. 
It's this way that this incredible man has walked out the ways of God in the world. It's totally understandable that when Jesus says he's got to leave, they don't want him to go. But Jesus says something. Why do they want him to go? Because he's showing them the way of God in the world. He's their lodestar, their north star. They're following him. He's the walking Torah instruction in front of them. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says to his disciples this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What is going on here? Well, firstly, Jesus, the word who's been walking in the world, who's been showing us what love looks like in real life. He has to go at this point. Jesus incarnated the body in the world, has to go at this point. Well, the first part of us understanding this, we see in Ephesians 1 verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet. Jesus having died on the cross, given his life, that is his coronation in the upside down kingdom. And so this means that God then has Jesus sitting at his right hand in the heavenlies. It says this, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So Jesus is now the head. Jesus is the head in the heavenlies. This is where you're going to see this almost pictorially in your mind. But what that means is Jesus now, who has shown us the way to live this out in the world, who discipled the apostles and the community that followed Jesus around, showed us how to do it, to bring faith and action together. Belief and discipleship. That he now is in the heavenlies. And who is to play that role in the world? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. If you believe Jesus is your savior, if you've bent your knee to him, If you've given your life to him, you are now his body in the world. We as the church are his body. We are now the incarnation of his way, his word in the world. Now, think about that picture or image. Jesus, the head in the heavenlies, the body, the church then is the bridge between heaven and earth, like Jacob's ladder. And so what we do as the church is we incarnate, we put flesh on Jesus' reign in every moment. And when the church does not do that, when we don't practice what we preach, when the gap between what we believe and what we walk out is big, there's nothing uglier. And we're seeing examples of this in our world at the moment. There are some elements where it feels like the church in certain places as they've aligned with power or in fear gone to all kinds of ideologies and false teachings. That gap is ugly and it does not bear witness to Jesus who gave up his power upon the cross, who was coronated at a moment when every human turned away because they were so ashamed of a naked body dying on a cross. When he refused the titles and power of the world offered to him by Satan, in the temptation. And so that gap when the church does not practice what it preached is ugly. But when the church is the body of God in the world, when it's Jesus's body in the world, 
when the gospel is preached, when people are loved, not out of a human, hippy-dippy vision of community, but actually agape, biblical loving of one another. When the church in moments like this of a pandemic is delivering food to people's doorsteps, when the broken are bound up, when the alien and the refugee is welcomed, when the people of God praise even in moments of persecution, that is when the gap between what we believe and what we live out is narrow. And if the, when it's wide, it's ugly, there's nothing more beautiful when it's close because we are reflecting God's glory in the world, working, walking out his way. So this is our call. We are called to put flesh on Jesus' reign. We are called to live as citizens of his kingdom in this moment. I just want to just pause. Because if you're watching in Melbourne, if Melbourne's your home, maybe you're watching us from further afield and you're looking at Melbourne, it's been a crazy week in this town. It's been a disorientating and disturbing week in this town. We have seen things in our town which... You just wouldn't think you'd see in Melbourne, the Garden City. The place of cafes and concerts and sporting gardens and all these beautiful things. We are at now the longest lockdown. Didn't expect this to be on our ticket for 2020, let alone 2021. The top of the off, man, we had an earthquake. Like... <laughs> Like, in a sense, you wonder at the moment, like, what's next? But one thing I really believe when I've looked at how God works in Scripture and in history, and I've said this, but now there's no longer a gap between just saying it and actually believing it. Crisis precedes renewal. In 1901, when federal parliament met in Carlton here in Melbourne to declare this a nation, Australia. All the politicians came, but later in that week, the believers of Melbourne came and for two nights prayed God's destiny for this city. All this time later, that's still in play. Now, possibly this week has been one of the great crises in this state's history, in this city's history. And that's why I just want to repeat, crisis precedes renewal. With God, there are better days ahead. The church has been through a testing. If the gap between what you believe and what you walk out has been too wide, it's been really easy to drop off in this time. But the church is being tempered. The fires are strengthening us. And so I believe there is this incredible opportunity as we begin to emerge in the next few weeks from this period, as the tone and situation our city finds itself in begins to change, things will return to normal and perhaps a new kind of normal, but there'll be opportunities to again go and have a fantastic coffee, to perhaps go and see a sporting event, to perhaps go to a gallery, to sit in the park with your friends, to have a barbecue. Those things will return. But I can't wait. But my heart, is that also what will return and what will emerge from this time is the promise of what we talked about when this pandemic first began, that we will come back stronger. And I think one of the ways that God is calling us to come back stronger is when actually the gap between what we believe 
and what we walk out, there is no difference between those two, that we actually act as Jesus' body in the world. There is stacks of missional opportunities coming. I believe there is an evangelistic moment. There was an op-ed in the paper yesterday where basically what the writer was saying, that Melbourne's foundations of what they thought was safe and secure have been rocked. That's going to be an evangelistic opening for people. There are many people asking what on earth is all this about? There are people who are going to be, I think, turning up at churches. They're already turning up to online services asking about the message of Jesus. There are going to be opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus as perhaps we deal with the economic outcomes of this or perhaps with future challenges that come in the coming days. To do that, we need to be the body. We need to follow our master. We need to create a culture and a community of disciples who are not just attenders, but apprentices. As our friend Terry Walling says, the world's had enough of Christian attenders. They just turn up to church, backsides on seats. We now need the church to be the church, the body of Christ in the world. And in our city, I believe that yeah, better days are coming. You can smell it in the air. Spring's here. But the prayer is for a spiritual spring to also break out as the church steps into her destiny to be Jesus' body, hands and feet, to make disciples of all nations, to live out the destiny of God for this city. That's the prayer. Let's be there.